Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Sorry, my dog's making noise behind me. Yeah. He's a little restless back there, I guess. Well, he, he's, he hasn't had his, his pre-podcast pee yet, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I sent him, I put him up before uh, I mean, I did the first podcast. But, mm. And I think Carol came home, so why doesn't he just go bug her? He does that. He comes and bugs one of us, and then the other has to get up and go deal with him. Mm. Oh, and now he knows you're talking about him, so he's growling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's lying on the ground. <laughs> You're being a pain in the ass. Real-time follow-up by Macintosh. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> Keep your opinions to yourself. So, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 164 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Dimitri, and I am in Toronto, Ontario. And I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we also are joined by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. All righty. So in usual fashion, should we start with some Ask MTJC? What do we got there, Jaime? We have a couple from Paul Wilkinson, at Paul Wilco. The first one is follow-up to, I assume, the most recent episode. I don't actually remember when we mentioned this. It says, uh, at Tim Mitra, pedantic note, but it is pronounced Bond-I and not mm-hmm. Bondi, I think, is what uh, I've heard you use before. Yeah, I said Bondi Blue real quickly. And it was when Mark and I were talking about the different models of Macs and eventually got to the, the blue original um, uh, iMac that Steve Jobs introduced as the new internet-ready Macintosh, thus the Leslie named iMac. And it was the color was referred to as Bondi Blue uh, by somebody. And apparently, I guess it's the, the color of the um, water in Bondi Beach. And uh, it's, I, I mispronounced it Bondi Blue, but I've always I've already said Bondi Blue, but I do remember somebody at one point in time telling me about Bondi Beach. And uh, so, of course, I retor- retweeted my classic you say potato, I say potato response which you know, reads that way, even though it's potato-potato. Um, and he offered to uh, give me bad directions if I ever came down to Australia and asked for directions to Bondi Beach. 
So, yeah. And then, of course, I pointed out that you guys always laugh at the way I say JavaScript and other things like that, right? We laugh that more about how you good. spell things than pronounce them. <laughs> all those extra Or use the wrong word. Yeah, that's true. Well, they support the language. They, they hold up the words, you know. So, yeah, it's funny, though, that just in that respect, um, I think that a lot of, I don't know what it's like for other people in other professions, but a lot of programmers just give up and just spell color, C-O-L-O-R, and, and so on and so forth, right? Because, um, you know, at the end of the day, we were the only ones that really see our code. And, but, yeah, we, we kind of just, uh, and, um, you know, Microsoft Word always argues with us about the way you spell words unless we install a Canadian dictionary, which, you know, at the end of the day, is just too much effort, right? Yeah. So we have another one from Paul Wilco here, right, Homie? And this one says, it's it me or does it does the ios 11 app store icon make it look like we're making apps out of by gluing popsicle sticks together and it's totally true now that he mentions that it does look very uh stick figure-ish right it does and it, it kind of reminds me of the symbol for uh rest stops when you're driving right, like right, there might be camping yeah. areas nearby oh yeah it's still got like picnic table look to it That's true. yeah definitely like i know they tried to i think make it a more minimal design but considering before it looked more like tools of the trade not our trade, but, you know, you're like a carpenter, let's say, you know, it kind of worked as a, like a, a building kind of thing. And now it does, like, I don't know, it, it might as well just be like a random symbol that I'm not really sure what it represents now. Right, right. And there was that way of like tying, like folding um, five or six popsicle sticks together to make those throwing things and you throw them and they would hit the wall and blow up kind of thing. You ever do that when you were kids? Mm, that's, no, I know what you're talking about. about. <laughs> yeah. It sounds kind of cool though if you throw it at the wall yeah. and it does stuff. Yeah. Well, it's kind of, yeah, we so I don't know if it was it was meant to do that, but it was a way of you could take you know you made like a sort of a teepee affair with 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 three popsicle sticks, two on either side and one down the middle, and then you would thread two popsicle sticks uh, horizontally, and they would and would basically hold the whole thing together, and it would be pretty firm until you threw it against the wall, and it would you know break up because it was just very very lightly held together, right? Um, and there was another way of doing it with with six, but uh, I'll f- I'll find a reference to that and put it up on the show notes or somewhere like that. But uh, I don't know, maybe something we learned as Boy Scouts. I can't remember. All right, so back to the notes. So we have some follow-up here. Uh, one of the things I found was, we talked about this before, and this is why I put it in follow-up, is the changes to uh, the Safari Web View Controller. A lot of people were planning to use the Safari Web View Controller to um, maintain state using the cookies. And um, so you could have, you could set a, a cookie in a website and then come over to your app, and Safari would somehow um, maintain that cookie. And Apple changed that behavior in iOS 11 so that that was no longer maintained, but they then shortly afterwards added a new property, and which kind of leads us to this article here, which talks about the fact that uh, the Safari Web View Controller, uh, I think Mark was explaining to me earlier before, is that um, now makes uh, flows like OAuth not obsolete, but in some ways better um, and much easier to write. And that's why I put this uh, this code here, the code sample from Median by uh, Jordan Morgan, uh, talks about how to use the, the new uh, API to uh, create a, a quick and easy uh, authentication model. Yeah, I haven't used this myself, but it's interesting because this has been a, a long time struggle uh, in a couple of ways. One is yeah, there's always the issue that that if you log in on a website and it, it you know and and you have your credentials stored in your keychain, they weren't available to apps until until recently. So this this helps that. And there's also the the whole uh, 
deep linking through installation problem that that was an issue for years and years where where you you say you want someone to install your app from a website and they click a link uh, and you want to embed some information in there so so the app has some information about what they were looking at or what they were doing or 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 something just any kind of information or even their you know some kind of user ID well it used to be that when you went through the app store uh, you there was no way to pass that information on through into the app and so the Safari web view helped helped with that uh, and and the cookies approach that you mentioned was a way of doing that deep linking you could store the info that that uh, someone wanted to you uh, about what someone was looking at or, or whatever where you want to deep link to in the cookie and then read that once you're in the app and and it would it would appear as if after they installed the app that they would just show up in the in exactly the right place inside the app so uh I wasn't aware that Apple had broken that, uh, so I'm going to look at this pretty closely. Uh, but if they've made an even better way of doing it, then that's that's fantastic. I'm not sure that this is this addresses the deep linking issue, but but it, for sure it addresses the authentication issue. Yeah. So in, in I think it was in beta three they because in in the first two betas it took out that that cookie thing. And again, it was all about controlling security and and you know sandboxing the Safari Web View controller. But yep. uh, they've added in this SF authentication session, which is what I was struggling to remember earlier mm-hmm. um, that as as this author says is a breeze to use or at least he's, maybe he's quoting a um, tweet here but uh, that's part of the SF uh, SF Safari view controller mm-hmm. um, makes it super easy to use so um, that's the piece that that uh, helps with this authentication here yep so as part of the SF authentication session yeah I'll have to take a closer look at this yeah so I mean and and he lists off or they list off a, a number of uh, apps using uh, the um, OS OAuth Swift um, example here on GitHub that he's pointed at, and it's like people like Twitter and Flickr and GitHub, Instagram, Foursquare, LinkedIn, Dropbox, Dribble, you know, you name it, they're on here. Uber, Slack, Facebook, Spotify, Trello, Buffer, Goodreads, and so on. So that's just, that's, that's so is, is a he, sample of them. Is he being sarcastic when he says there's on, there's only a few places OAuth is used, and then it lists about 25 yes. places? Yeah. Well, because the, I mean, these these few places where it is used, or you know, you may have heard of them before, right? Well, so. <laughs> and there's a lot of them. I wouldn't I wouldn't call it a few. Yeah, no, no. He's being sarcastic, yeah. of course. Yes, yeah. and I was just being sarcastic too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, yeah. So we'll link to that in the show notes. People can take a look at that one. Um, I, this is something I posted in here uh, last week, and we didn't we uh, skipped over it. My bad. Um, and it was an, a, a video review, actually, of the new LTE watch from Apple, the Watch Series 3. Um, it's an interesting review here where the person in the video, he's sitting in sitting in a, in a, a park bench across, in New Jersey across the the river, whatever it is. Hudson River? What's, what's in New York? I can't remember. Hudson River. Um, yep. It's yeah, between New York and New Jersey. Uh, from Manhattan, talking about the fact that he's, he's here with just his earbuds. Earbuds? Is that right? AirPods, AirPods. <laughs> not the dog. His dog. He left his dog at home with his with his phone. So he's just got his his AirPods and his watch and no phone, and he's able to make calls and uh, you know listen to music and all that kind of stuff independently of his uh, independently 
idea of his device, his phone. So uh, interesting review about the watch. And he compares it to a couple of um, well-made watches as well, like uh, high-end watches in terms of the quality of it, may, of the make of the watch. He's got uh, this, the new, the dark, uh, I guess, space gray ceramic um, watch as an example. And he compares that to a famous make watch, which I can't remember off the top of my head. It's a video. You can watch it yourself. Um, it's quite an interesting review. It's probably like 10, it's not, not quite 10 minutes. I think it's probably four, uh, five to seven minutes. Good review of the new Apple Watch Series 3. And then I think this was probably made around the time that the, the story about the LTE issue with Wi-Fi broke. So I'm not sure what he doesn't touch on that at all. So uh, do we, where do we stand on that? Because I think the, they were sort of implying that the Wi-Fi bug can't be fixed or won't be no, fixed. No, no, no. It's a, just before people freak out. Um, yeah, I'm freaking out here. They actually just came out with a fix today. Um, oh, nice. In, in watchOS uh, 4.0.1 or something. I, I, I'm not sure. I, it seems like it's just for those watches because I checked and I didn't see any availability for my watch. So uh, right. it was a little bit interesting. And what it was is that, you know, basically the the watch, which we've, I think we never really talked about, or most people didn't really talk about it, is it uses the same Wi-Fi settings that your phone uses. So if you're in an area where it's a, a network that you've signed into before, it stores and caches some of that that information. So you can, so it sort of seamlessly just works, as we like to say with Apple, right? And part of that is that, and, and the problem was that that was blocking the ability for the, the watch to switch over to the LTE network, which technically is a weaker network. And, you know, Apple always sort of finds the strongest network to do its uh, work on, right? And that was sort of blocking people's ability to get on LTE and make calls, which is what this bug is about. Mm-hmm. So back on supporting the iPhone 10, it's, it's amazing. You know, I have to say this, but a, a lot of people are calling it the iPhone X, which, you know, of course, doesn't wouldn't normally bother me. But uh, so, as soon as somebody says iPhone X, I'll start dropping it like that too. But the iPhone 10, uh, there's an article here in uh, uh, useyourloaf.com about supporting the sizes of the iPhone 10. And he's got some interesting graphics here, sort of follows on what Jaime was talking last week with his two picks about uh, from paint code. But this one talks about the uh, safe area uh, guides on um, a typical um, iOS 11 watch. So, or sorry, iOS 11 app. You know, at normally you got 64 pixels at the, at the top of the screen, which I think I talked about the some of the tests that I was doing when I was trying to look at somehow my, how some of my other apps beha- misbehaved or behaved on the iPhone 10 simulator. Um, you had that. It seemed to be to me that the, the and I couldn't put my finger on it, but the, the, the navigation bar was taller. In this case, it's 64 pixels, and yet when you turn your phone sideways, the top safe area goes to 32 pixels with, with bottom zero, left zero, and right zero. But when you go into the iPhone 10, uh, it's quite a different story in that the safe area leaves 88 pixels at the top of the screen for you know the navigation bar and the ears or whatever we're calling the notch you know, space, um, and 34 pixels at the bottom sort of to keep away from this uh, swipeable home button area, right? Um, and then when you but when you turn your phone sideways, uh, again the top top section becomes 32, but it it pads 44 pixels on the left and right, and I guess that's to avoid the notch on whichever depending on which way you rotate your iPhone 10, right? So kind of interesting little read here if you're trying to figure out how you're going to lay out things uh, with uh, with your uh, iPhone 10 uh, layouts. So and they talk about the safe area insets and layout margins or layout margins. I think they're, it's an either or, right? Um, safe area insets is the new um, the new guy that they've added, and that's to keep things like your buttons and you know, things like that out of the areas that they want to protect for the home sw- home button swiping 
thing at the bottom and uh, the, uh, the navigation bar and ears at the top. Yeah, I think the one that was sort of the trippiest to me, like everything around the safe areas uh, sort of made sense. You know, use those uh, as your guides instead of the um, bottom and top layout guides. The thing that was a little weird to me was the discussion around the search bar and how you mm-hmm. handle that a little bit differently. Instead of adding the search bar uh, to the table view header, you right. end up adding it to the uh, the navigation item. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was something that was a little unexpected that I hadn't thought about uh, as being a difference. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's funny that, um, oh, these are fall 2007. I it just, it's interesting that they're, the, the videos they're calling session 201 and session 801, that's sort of throwing me off that uh, these just came out in, in uh, September, October, right? September timeframe. These two videos at the bottom mm-hmm. from Apple. Yep. Same day that the iPhone 10 was revealed, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So these aren't for sessions from WWDC. They've been doctored or whatever. It, it's so weird because they're they're presented as if they were WWDC yeah, sessions, but they're really yeah. more like Apple Tech Talks, uh, except they didn't actually have an event for that. So right, yeah, yeah, yeah. One's called Designing for the iPhone X, and the other one. Oh, shit, yeah. I'm not going to correct you on that one too because I fully I'm think, my head shame, I, I fully yeah. think that they they full on want it. They're going to say iPhone 10, but come on, it's X, right? Like yeah. you, you, did, you didn't have to make it not a number. Uh, why, why make it yeah. X? Because yeah. X is cool, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm okay X with people cool. saying it either way. I also felt the same way about Mac OS 10. You know, a lot really? of people say oh. Mac OS X, and and I'm yeah. okay with that. Yeah, because it's an, otherwise it's a Mac or Mac operating system 10, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. Anyway, so building for iPhone. Ten, building apps for iPhone 10 and designing apps for iPhone 10. So this is session 201, session 801. There's links at the bottom of this article we'll talk about. Wait, I think we talked about one of these two videos on the show previously, right? Didn't we? I think we, I think we might talked have. about the designing for iPhone iPhone 10. Yeah. Right. And there is also a document too. The, the human interface guidelines have been updated to accommodate the iPhone 10 as well. All right. Oh, and then of course, you know, the Mac rumors folks have, have built their Uber iPhone 10 roundup page. I think we talked about about this one before, but they've, they've added some more things to it uh, to sort of give us some more information on the actual device and the layout and things like that, right? Do you guys have a look at this one? Is this, uh, this the same as what we talked about before? Do you know? Wow, I have no idea. This is actually pretty extensive. Um, yeah. It's definitely a really good roundup of all the different attributes that go into this. I'd have to really read through it carefully and see uh, what is or isn't different. I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of this is being updated as new things come out. Like I see that they have a mm-hmm. Face ID section that I'm going to guess was probably updated uh, with information from Apple's white paper that we talked about last episode. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. It talks about the interface changes, the, the uh, water imperviousness and dust imperviousness, um, that difference in the new display, the face ID stuff, as Hami mentioned. It also has a nice little thing at the very bottom of the article. Oh, no. Halfway through the article, uh, the, the new sensors, the infrared camera, the proximity sensor. My dog's barking. Hang on one second. Right. So uh, the infrared the infrared camera proximity cameras, flood illuminator, ambient light sensors, you know, speakers. Speaker? Oh, yes, I guess for the ear, right? <laughs> oh, it is a phone. I keep forgetting that, right? The dot projector. Yeah, it's a really cool thing. Cool article. Yeah, I think this is a lot more uh, more extensive than we had seen before. Yeah, it's the sort of thing that um, you'll probably want to bookmark and income reference. You know, people ask you about things, particularly if you have, um, I don't know, clients or your your manager who's like, oh, what's the deal with iPhone 
again? How is it different? And you say, hey, go, go read this entire thing. Uh, it's got a table of contents that you can go to the different areas that, that uh, tickle your fancy. Oh, you know what I just reminded of? I'm just looking at the very bottom here. It says pricing and availability. I don't know if you guys have heard or not, but and I don't think you guys, you're not on the Apple, on the iPhone uh, upgrade plan or whatever it's called, right? I'm not. I saw something the other day that said that the people who are on the upgrade plan won't be able to get phones until 2018. Had you seen that? Is that confirmed anywhere or is that people's um, belief based on how the program is supposed to work you know, as it's written today and it, it is like a yearly upgrade program and it's like, well, what yeah. happens? Because it comes out a little bit off cycle. It's not exactly on uh, in September like the previous ones were. Right. Oh, did that not start? It didn't start in September. It started like later on. Is that the idea? I have. Why people are thinking? No idea how it works, but I assume it's like a yearly upgrade cycle where, oh, looks like your your year is over um, or your year milestone has passed. Would you like to upgrade now sort of thing? Right, right. So do they have like a buyout thing? Like like with my cell company, if I want to get a phone early, I, I have to pay an extra penalty to get to pay off the part of the contract that they're supposedly subsidizing. Maybe that is, do they have something like that with the Apple program? No. Of course, so you guys it, don't it know. Used to, it used to be that way when the carriers were subsidizing, but they haven't been subsidizing for at least a year now. Uh, so you're actually paying you know, the full price of the phone, but it's spread over over installment periods. But I believe that the upgrade program does let you as long as you send them your phone after a year they can you can get a new phone and right, and right. so so essentially the half of the installments that you owe they will waive and you give them your phone in in return for that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all right so one more one more bit of follow up here is uh we I mentioned last week about uh Tammy and Chris Language's uh, new app uh, called uh Monster Truck AR I believe and and Tammy had mentioned that there's a new uh device capability that you can put into your info P list. Um, thank you very much, Mac. You put in your info P list, uh, UI required device capabilities, and the value set there is AR kit. Uh, and that will, when you publish the app to the store, it will make sure that people who are buying the app have, in fact, a phone or an iPad that is capable of running AR kit. I wonder if you could test for that in code too, you know, like, uh, like maybe you have a feature, like maybe if I do my boondoggle Pi Day countdown with AR kit support. I don't want to block the people who don't have AR kit capable devices from being able to download the app, right? So I wonder if you could use that property in your app somewhere in the code. Yeah, I mean, you can you can access anything that's in your info P list. Uh, you may have to do a little digging around to figure out exactly what the keys are to get it out, but but right. for sure you can do it. There's I don't think there's a, a simple one-line API, though, that makes it simple to check that, like there are for you know checking whether your location service permissions are set or things like that. Right, uh, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but you can certainly go dig through your, your P list and get that out. Well, I would think this UI required device capabilities would be the key, and because it probably has a user-friendly name that sits in your P list when you're looking in the in the general pane in your Xcode, right? Yes, because it looks it looks very like a it's a UI kit, you know, element because of the UI, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Could be, yeah. It could be that that's just a uh, an array of mm-hmm. strings, mm-hmm. and ARKit is one of the strings. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but yeah. we'd have to check that. Yeah. All right. So uh, there's another article here too, and it's just in light of the latest bunch of disasters, Puerto Rico, and uh, I guess um, where else did there, where did Irma hit? Florida, uh, Florida, and, and Houston. Um, Houston, Houston. Apparently, now there's two sides to the sto- story here, but apparently the phones, the previous phones pr- prior to the iOS eight, I believe or sorry, iPhone 8, um, have 
have a, a FM capable uh, chips in them, and Apple's disa- disabled that for uh, obvious for reasons, right? Um, which we're not sure of, because a lot of people complain about the fact that you could they could use your, your could use your phone as an AF and sorry an FM receiver or some type, right? And in the case of um, disaster areas where they have no cell service for whatever reason, you can use uh, you, they could use the FM to uh, get information to people, right? Mm-hmm. But Apple claims that the latest phones just don't have an FM chip at all. Right, yeah, yeah. And there's the rub. Right, right. Yeah, and this article doesn't go into it, but I'd seen a slightly different article that covered the devices that apparently do have an FM radio chip, and it sounded to me, and I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounded to me like that FM capability came along um, as part of what other whatever other chip they had in there, right? Like, I'm envisioning a, oh, you bought, I don't know, it's a ridiculous example, but you bought, like, um, a GPU. Oh, by the way, well, we don't, like, we do these systems on a chip sort of thing. And so like, you just get all this stuff together. It, it comes with Wi-Fi chip, it, you know, Wi-Fi capability, FM capability, Bluetooth, like all in one sort of thing. And I'd gotten an impression from that article that uh, just because the chip was there doesn't mean it was necessarily connected to anything. So I right, guess maybe right. they didn't wire up that pin or something. So, all right, well, even though it does have it, I mean, we're not going to like be able to activate it in any sort of way. Uh, it just happens to be in there as, as sort of dead circuitry. Right, right. Or, or that it might require special software to be written to access it and interact with it and apple just never put that software in so so even if it was wired up there's no software on the phone to to uh to talk to it well i mean that's what they could do to patch it right that's what the fcc is is uh maybe suggesting that if it is hooked up then they could you know patch the software to make it work right yeah but it, it, um, but it might be on the firmware level you know so you'd need to true you yeah. need to actually have to flash some some part of the chip to to program some part of the chip to put that on there so you'd have to have every everyone bring their phone to a to an apple store and and train all the people at the apple store how to how to plug in the special hardware to flash the chip and seem like something that's that's real practical Mm-hmm. Right, right. Does that sort of thing impact their, um, I don't know what to call it, like their certification with the FCC? Very <laughs> likely, yes. Yes. Yeah, you have to certify your hardware for any kind of signals that are coming out or going in. And uh, it, it, it's very likely that they were never certified for FM. So that would be another issue. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, it's unfortunate that you don't have that sort of capability, but I let the very tail end of this article says that, uh, the FCC's comments come just days after the FCC was criticized for not doing enough to respond to the crisis in Puerto Rico and the recent hurricanes in Texas and Florida. And I, I think that's it right there. Um, I think that's the reason for this statement. It wasn't a, oh, look, this actually helps people. It was more of a, let's try to deflect some of the blame because if it affects something like certification, it's like, well, okay. I, I, I didn't see the FCC mentioning, oh, by the way, we're, we're going to give a, a special pass to Apple to do this, right? And so I think it, it does become more of like a political play. Uh, but I will want to uh, do want to throw out here something that was mentioned or address something that was mentioned in the um, in the article. It says, critics, critics suggest that Apple does not want to undermine its own streaming service by activating the FM chip. I, I, I can't see how that's <laughs> even a possibility. Like th- those two are not even remotely the same. Like if you tried any of the streaming services, you would never say, aha, but if I listen to 
95.5 KLEQ FM in El Paso. Like, that's like my free streaming. It's like, no, it, it's not. It's terrible. There's a reason why people don't like listening to the radio anymore. Right. So I, I can't see that. I can't see it. It's like, oh, look, see, Apple did it as a way to, you know, protect their own uh, Apple music sort of streaming service. I'm like, mm, I doubt it. Did it come yeah, up as like an, an extra checkbox somewhere when they were evaluating, you know, what should we do about it uh, before this incident came up? Maybe. I'm not going to deny the possibility of that, but it definitely was not an overriding factor. Yeah, I tend to agree. Yeah, no, I, don't, I don't think they would do it either. either. All right. Uh, I did find a couple more articles. There's some more articles that are even fresher than the one I posted. Mine was from six days ago, and there's a couple from two days ago talking about the same thing. Oh, uh, yeah, SCT, uh, love these titles. FCC demands Apple put safety of the American people first, right? All right. <laughs> That's a hey, little uh, much. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. can get cheapy. I mean, I have probably cheapy radios that I got for free at like conferences or, you know, uh, job interview type things that give you the swag. So it's, yeah. it's not as if access to these things is, is, is difficult in any way. And it sort of presupposes that like, you know, if, if Apple had like a Microsoft level uh, distribution, like monopoly level of like 90% of all desktops have this sort of thing, if it was a 95% of all uh, mobile phones in the US had or were iPhones, I might be more inclined to say, all right, all right, the, that can help people. And it's, you know, 40 to 50. And, and, and oh, even, it's even less like than the that, distribution of like the newer ones, which don't even have this chip in it. And so it's kind of a non-starter for them it's a lot of uh noise about something that that i don't think it needs to be brought up about right it's not i don't see this as uh as being quite the morality play of something like um like whether they should have cooperated with the fbi to unlock that iphone 5c from the san bernardino uh case right it's a little bit different than i think Mm mm-hmm yeah, it says here that uh, in one of the articles I found, which I'll link in the show notes, says that uh, the latest Comscore data shows that Apple iPhone has 27.3% share of the U.S. mobile market. So it's like not even, it's the flip side of what you were just saying in terms of percentages, right? Much lower than uh, than they thought. So 27.3% of the people would be saved too soon. All right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, so uh, Jaime, did you watch the Google announcement today? I didn't watch it live. I just saw a 19-minute recap of the event mm-hmm. or what do you what did you think about I, I was supposed to watch it today but I, I missed it I was between two meetings but I was just happy to get up to go have lunch what um, what was uh, any highlights from that at all or let's see it was uh, a lot of a lot of hardware that they released um, the pixel 2 phones both a, a regular size it's about I don't know five ish inches and a, an XL plus size that is around six inches I think mm-hmm. um, it came out with the the high-end pixel was pixel Chromebook I think it's called or Pixelbook or something. It's like a thousand dollar Chromebook, so, so leans on that high end. It uses a has a stylus available, so it kind of becomes a little bit more like the Microsoft Surface in that respect. Right. right. They came out with um, a less expensive version of the Google Home. Uh, I think they call it the the Mini. So you can think of that as sort of the competitor to Amazon's Echo Dot. Uh, this is a. They're both forty nine dollar devices. They're both meant to be cheap enough to have multiple of them. Put them throughout the house. They also came out in. Interestingly enough, with the, I don't even remember the name, it, it was a Google Home high-end speaker that's 399 US. That's kind of more of a competitor to what the HomePod and the other sound systems are going to call it Google out. HomePod, right? <laughs> uh, it has an actual name. It's like Max or something. I can't remember what, what it was. Um, and what else did they come up with? Oh, they also came up with this sort of strange thing called Google Clips or something. It's like a little camera that you like clip onto, the, I guess, I don't know, the front of your shirt or your 
your right. chest or something. And it's supposed to use machine learning in some sort of way to figure out when is the appropriate moment to take photos and videos so that you can be more engaged in your environment. So when you're, I don't know, like at Thanksgiving dinner or something, uh, it will figure out like, oh, uh, it looks like everybody's collected here. Let me take a picture so you can remember this moment rather than having to like fumble with your telephone sort of thing. So uh, that one was probably the weirdest one. It was like the only one that I don't think anybody had uh, rumored so far. And it was kind of the one that, that didn't fit in quite as well with the rest of their strategy. As far as everything else goes, it was all it was all somehow related to their emphasis on machine learning and AI. And they, they said mm-hmm. the words machine learning dozens of times, even in the 19 <laughs> minutes recap I watched. It was like, oh, you're using the pixel, whatever that high-end pixel book is. And you see a photo on your screen. You have no idea what it is. Just use the stylus, draw a circle around it. And the Google Assistant will use machine learning to go figure out, oh, uh, th- that's this particular wrapper. And let's bring up their whole discography and show you information. And, and they did more things like that where, what was the one? I guess it's not a machine learning one. It was more like a, a feature thing where uh, the Pixel uh, Pixel 2 phone, you can sort of like squeeze the sides of the phone, like the edges of the phone, like when you're gripping it. And that will trigger the assistant. And you can do things like ask it to take a selfie, for example. And the presenter did that and then took a photo of uh, herself and the, the crowd behind her. Yeah. So it's kind of like the equivalent of uh, like the September Apple events that we're used to where a lot of uh, a lot of products come out. Nice. Cool. So you have another link here from you put here, Jaime, about CrowseFX? Yes, this is a example repository on GitHub by uh, Felix Kraus. You might know him as the developer of um, Fastlane, now owned by Google. And it, it's kind of an interesting um, example where he's showing how even without explicit location services enabled, you know, permissions, you can use other routes to figure out locations of where the user has been fairly recently by using the metadata that's contained within the photo library. So if you can get photo mm. library access, like he shows like, oh, oh, let me do a map of like all these different points that they've been or all these different routes that they've taken and, and gives a little bit of proposal for a couple of proposals for, oh, uh, how can Apple close this security uh, problem? Um, some, some a little bit more heavy handed than others. So the two proposals see here are um, separate permissions for selecting a photo, like uploading an existing picture or granting full access to the photo library. Hmm. Another one is, uh, I think the one I agree the most with is an alternative approach would be to have an extra permission layer to access the picture's metadata. And that's probably the, the better one where if they could update the, um, what is it called? Like the photos framework, for lack of a better term. Um, if they updated that, so it would, when it gives you photos, it does not give you all the EXIF information. It like strips it out. Um, unless you have gotten extra permission for the user that says, oh, do I want to let this app read the location information and other information from my photo? Uh, I'm not sure how else you would deal with this sort of thing. Yeah, that would be, the- be a tough one to do technically because that stuff's embedded right in the in the JPEG format. So it would be hard to do that. But, um, you, you know, it's actually kind of, this whole thing is kind of ironic because back in the day, it used to, before Apple really started doing all these different permissions for all these different things, uh, it would ask for permissions to look at location when you wanted to look at photos. And this made a lot of people unhappy because, you know, the, just to access photos, you'd get this permission popping up asking for, for permission to, to look at your location information for exactly this reason. And, right, yeah. and I remember I was working 
working on a photo app, uh, you know, probably you know five years ago, uh, where we had a lot of customers complaining, "Why are you asking for permission to look at location right. when you just when I it's just by my photos?" So they say so they wouldn't allow, and they couldn't do anything with the photos. It was a big mess. Uh, so. So Apple changed that, and and now they have the specific uh, photos permission dialog that pops up. But now we have this new problem. It's 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 kind of a it's kind of a things come full circle kind of problem, I guess. Yeah, there used to be a way actually to use the photo information, the active information in photos to uh, locate where a tweet was coming from. I remember there was a couple of apps that uh, you know, if you if you wanted to know where a particular picture was taken, or you wanted to find out where a user was coming from, you could yeah. actually search the uh, their their images on Twitter and find out where they were coming from. I think they changed the API for Twitter for that for that obvious reason, but. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, so that was another another tricky thing people used to do, and that was that circumventing the whole permission thing as well, right? Which is what this is doing, or similar what it's doing, right? Yeah, and well, yeah, I mean it's 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 actually not doing anything illegal, uh, technically, you know, technically, I mean illegal by Apple standards. I mean it's if if you if you grant access to to your photos, then you get all the information in your photos, and the XF is just right in there in your photos. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the same as if you just send if you send someone a, a photo. Uh, in a say JPEG format, then then most likely all that information is embedded in that in that photo. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Do you know what JPEG stands for? Um, joint. Tell us, Tim. Picture joint, something. Joint group. photograph. Joint photograph. Photographic experts group. Ah, okay. They're, they're the ones that created the standard that included all the EXIF information that's in JPEG. Ah. Very interesting. So now you know. So what does MPEG stand for? Uh, motion something. <laughs> motion Pictures Expert Group? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> Could very well be. Yeah. So yeah. all a bunch of experts. They all know what they're doing, right? So And PNG yeah, so this- stands for Portable Network Graphics. Is that right? Yeah, portable. I think, yeah. I think it does. Yeah, yeah. PNG. Yeah. Yep. yeah what does what does TIFF stand for? A tagged image file format. Wow. All right, that's a pretty good one. Oh yeah, you give me graphics, man. Yeah, I got your graphics yeah. covered. Nice. <laughs> and EPS is encapsulated postscript. Yeah, that. Yeah, that's an easy one. Yeah. What about MKV? MKV. What's in context? That's the container format for video files. Oh, okay. I've definitely seen the extension. I don't think I've ever seen it spelled out. Oh, I was right. Moving picture experts group. Hmm. Hmm. What do you know? What do you know? You know what PICT is? P-I-C-T? Short for picture? Cause with four characters, so it fits into the Apple's old format? Yeah, yeah. It was it was their their vis- vis- their image format that um, before they adopted JPEG and PNG. So all, all the files on your old classic um, computers are P-I-C-T, PICT format. But they don't have to have the extension on it, right? Yeah, it's, you're right. It's the old resource fork stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. But TIFF actually had two Fs originally. Yeah. yeah. Well, it still does, I guess, right? <laughs> still does. Yeah. But we only use three in... in, in unless you're on a DOS machine, then you need an 8.3 format, right? So What's 8.3? Uh, oh, 8.3. 8.3, yeah. yeah. Right, so eight characters and then dot and then, and then three, three extenders. Yep. Right. I forgot about that. Mm. Oh, the horror. Yeah. DOS in general was horror. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it kind of limited the number of... I mean, but who would need more than eight characters? Probably what Bill Gates said, right? That's right, I, right. <laughs> well, no, no Bill like, Gates probably said, well, we stole this yeah. all from... Uh, what was the company? I oh, can't C... Yeah, yeah. Um, um, well, there's... Partly it was from CPM. But, CPM, But yeah. the actual DOS was stolen from a guy who wrote his own version of CPM for, yeah, for PCs. Yeah. And I'm drawing a blank on the name. Oh, was it Digital Research? I think it was might have been Digital Research. Uh, yeah. yeah was it? 
it was a guy who got rich and he decided he'd rather fly his plane than talk to IBM. Is that the guy? That that's the guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then and I, they guess, went back I guess I guess Microsoft didn't really steal it, but you know, it was he, he bought it for cheap or something from the guy. Well, I, the story goes that you know when IBM showed up at Bill Gates' door with Bill Gates and Paul Allen, they said you have to sign this NDA before we talk to them. They went, sure, we'll sign the NDA, and then they talked to him about it and they said, well, we need someone to build an operating system for us. And Gates said, or Gates or Allen said, you should go talk to that guy over there. And he, they went over there and the guy's wife wouldn't sign the NDA and he was off flying planes and, and wasn't interested in talking to IBM, right? So the, then IBM went apparently went back to Gates and said, he won't talk to us. And that's how um, DOS was born. Because then Gates said, okay, well, we'll write something for you or we'll figure out a way to put it together, right? I thought, I thought Gates went to this guy and bought it off him for cheap because he didn't know that IBM was interested. And then he just resold it to IBM. Yeah, I, I know this. Well, this is a was, Robert Cringely. Yeah, in, Intergalactic wrote, uh, Digital Research was the actual name of the company. The guy was kind of a hippie. Right, right. But the story I'm telling is is based on what I read by Robert Cringely in uh, Accidental Empires, the book, uh, which he, I think it was originally a TV show called uh, Triumph of the Nerds, but he turned it into a book. So that's why I found it. Now Gary, Gary Kildall was the guy. That's him, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder where he is now. Yeah, I don't know. Alrighty, so I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, Jaime, if people want to get a hold of you, how would they do? Oh, did we do picks? We didn't do picks. We did not. Oh, let's do your pick, Jaime. Yes. Um, I don't even know what to call this one. It's uh, it's an iOS architecture generator. That's a, a fun little website that I had some some fun with. All it does is you hit the generate button and it gives you an acronym and some terms that that, that could be right. Like I just hit uh, ICSF, which could stand for Interactor Controller Singleton Functional. Uh, if you've heard us talk about on the show about uh, MVVM or Viper and uh, a lot of other, MVP and a lot of other ones, uh, I think this is sort of uh, poking fun of that. Um, like I hit uh, Vis View Interactor Store Singleton. So <laughs> it might be fun generating some of these and like tossing them into casual conversation. See who um, picks up on see- it. Yeah. yeah, see who figures out what's real and what's not. <laughs> or if you're at a meetup group, you know, have like a uh, like an improv moment where people are just like yeah. up front hitting the button and then you have to speak for a minute as to what that architecture is. Right, right. Yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there used to be a, um, a Palm Pilot app called the BSOmatic and it would take all kinds of marketing speak and put it together, you know. Um, and I, you know, I hear this stuff all the time, but if you look up BSOmatic, I think it's now an online thing. This one sounds almost real. FV. VP. That's funny. I was just looking at that one. Yeah. Functional view, view model presenter. Yeah. Which I swear to heaven, <laughs> that, that sounds like something I've actually seen people propose. Uh, so this is by um, a developer in Brazil named, I'm not sure how to pronounce his first name, but something like Guilherme. But his last name is awesome. His last name is Rambo. So thank you. Uh, CPH. Uh, underscore inside. CPH controller presenter helper. That almost sounds hmm. real too. View model presenter store. Ooh, VREV. View router entity view model. And then FVHV, functional view helper view model. (laughs) Oh, MRI, model router interactor. That one almost sounds real. Yeah, that that's that's close enough to the pieces yeah. of Viper for sure. So, yeah, okay. well, I found a, a link to the BSOmatic, and here's an example: monetizing next generation channels in contrast to orchestrating real time action items in connection with automating virtual mindshare, seamlessly generating twenty four by three sixty five systems. <laughs> that sounds like the mission statement for some <laughs> groups I've been in at large corporations. It's, yeah, it's yeah. scarily well, real. <laughs> 
Well, because the the buttons were the buttons were you could you, if you wanted to start over again, you push the fresh BS button, and if you wanted to add more, you would hit pile it on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, these are fun things. So I was hoping it was going to be something that would actually generate a little class for us to work with there, Jaime. No, no, this wasn't like you know something actually useful in the world. Like, oh, right, uh, right, I right. like this Viper thing. Can you have some sorcery scripts that that pump out all the the templates that you'll need, the boilerplate you'll you'll need to handle? Right, no, right. no, this is this is just for fun. Yeah. Tim, you didn't ask me if I had a pick. Oh, do you have a pick? No. Oh, you do have a pick. That's right. I forgot. Well, what's it, your, what's yeah, your pick? It's, it's not a pick per se, but I have two. It's a tip. Yeah, two two uh, gotchas slash tips that that were that you might run into with with Xcode nine or or iOS eleven. Uh, the first one is. I was hunting the other day for the code folding, looking for that ribbon that used to be down the left side where you could just tap and turn a little arrow and, and you know fold up a method or a function into a nice compact representation. Really easy, really good for, for figuring out where that extra parenthesis or, or curly bracket was that you can't find in your in your pyramid of doom or whatever. Uh, and and it seemed to be completely gone. Uh, I you know there was there used to be in preferences uh, on the text editing tab there was a way to turn that on or off in the old Xcode, but that's gone too. Uh, it turns out they've the ribbon is gone as far as I can tell, but they've moved the functionality into the editor pull down menu in Xcode, so it's it is still available. It's to me it's a little less convenient because you need to use a uh, either go to the menu or or use a. Uh, uh, a, a, um, a command key to do it, but but it, but it is still available. So if you're hunting for it desperately, like I was, it's there. And I'll give a shout out to our friend and sometimes co-host uh, Greg Heo for pointing that out to me. That that's where it is now. The- sure. So before you get on to the, the next one, the, so the yep. ribbon used to be handy because if you if you hovered over it, it would highlight the block of code right within within the scope. Does it? So you, is that functionality gone now? That's go- That's gone. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. Too bad. Just kind of sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the other one has to do with location services in iOS 11. And uh, so it used to be in iOS 10, there were two types of location services available. There was always available or when in use available. And so when in use gave your app permission to use location services when the app was in use and always gave permission to use it at any time. So you could have a, a background app or something and uh, and even set up a, a background service to open up the app when you've moved to certain amount of distance uh, and that's how all these driver location apps would would work and, and things like that uh, so they've now turned off the ability to just use always permission directly so it used to be that if you if you wanted to use always permission there was a key in your p list that you'd set with the text that you want to show and then there was a call to request always permission well they've changed that now where if you if you call request always permission it'll actually bring up a uh, a uh, dialog box that that gives you the option of, of actually use, or gives the user the option of actually using always permission or when in use permission so the user can choose when in use permission even though you requested always permission and and that's fine but the tricky part and here's the gotcha is that there's there's now a new plist key that you have to add called uh, you can look up the name but it's but it's something like request always and when in use permission you have to it's it's a special key for both uh, so you have to put in that one as well as the request always, as well as the request when in use permission key. So you have to put in all mm. these keys. If you don't do that and you call request permission, which which I had happen to me uh, because I didn't know about that key and uh, just was testing an iOS 10 app on iOS 11 and just doing it the same way 
always have done it by just calling request always permission. Well, it'll essentially just ignore the request. It won't even show the dialog box and you just won't have permission to use location services silently. Right. And it it doesn't give you any kind of indicate. Well, I think it does give a message in the console, but if you don't, if you're not looking for it, uh, you won't even know it's there. uh, And, uh, and your app will just suddenly stop working as expected. So just be careful about that. That's in an app that's running uh, like an iOS 10 app running on iOS 11, you're you're saying? Yeah. so, So I took an existing iOS 10 app. Uh, that was using always permission and rebuilt it using uh, Xcode 9 and the iOS 11 SDK. Uh, so right, but still right. being still being able to deploy to iOS 10, but having it targeted against the iOS 11 SDK. And if you ran it on an iOS 10 device, it worked exactly perfectly as, as it did before. No problem. If you ran it on an iOS 11 device, uh, pr- no usage of location services at all. And no dialog boxes, no warnings, no errors, nothing. Okay, but if we were supporting older OS, we could probably put that that key in anyway, and even if we're if we're targeting nine and thinking that if we're building an app that's for nine, but people are going to use it under eleven, right? Clearly. Oh sure, sure, yeah. So yeah. It, you could always put an extra an extra key into a plist with no no ill effects, no penalty. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. But if you're missing a a, a plist item, a key in the info.plist, then then you're in trouble, and that's what was happening in this case because they added a new key that you have to add. Right, right. Yeah, and it's a bummer that they did it the way that they did it. Where I mean, for consistency sake and it would have been more useful to you um, so you weren't like wondering what the heck was going on um, it should have just crashed because yeah. <laughs> it should be no different than like when they suddenly required us to have um, the privacy strings for like camera and bluetooth and all these other things and it explicitly crashes if you try calling without those keys right and yours right. just silently failed right right yeah you're right it would have been better because I would have caught it much much more quickly yep mm-hmm. do you have a link for that I'm just looking here on uh, there's one here on, on medium actually um, uh, let's see if it's here. Yeah, never, never when in use and always, right? Is that yep. the one you're talking about? Well, yeah, so, ne- so never when in use and always was how it was in iOS 10. Right. But in iOS 11, now there's there's this yeah, two new faced, kind of... Two-faced, yeah. Yeah. Two-faced permissions. Yeah. Interesting stuff. All right. Now, if people want to get a hold of you on Android, it's time a, where would they look? The best place is on Twitter. I'm at Dev with the Hair. All right. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you, send me an email to markr at smapsoft.com. And as usual, top of the show, I said I am Tim Mitra. I am T I M M I T R A on the Twitter machine. And that's the best way to get a hold of me. And so until next week, we'll say goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
So what do you decide about the Roger Waters show? You going second time? Oh, I went already. The second one, I mean. Yeah, yeah. I went last night. Oh, the second one. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Monday night was the first show, right? And we were sitting up in the nosebleeds, and they paid like $99 for those seats, right? Yeah. And it wasn't too bad, because, you know, because he got that great big giant, you know, video screen sort of thing, yeah. right? And then, so I got some, you know, good a periscope, some stuff, and took some good pictures from up there. And of course, you could see the pyramid really well, right? Spoilers yep. for people who haven't seen the show, that show. But, uh, and then he was, and then I saw, as I was going into the venue, uh, my Ticketmaster thing popped up and said, hey, do you want to get tickets for Roger Waters? And I thought, that's weird. And so it turns out there were tickets for last night's show. And then, you know, I hemmed and hawed and I could have got row five on the floors. And But like I noticed people, as I watched the show afterwards, everybody was standing throughout the whole concert. So I didn't want to want to stand for like, you know, two hours, whatever. Yep. But I found that seats on the side of the stage, right, right yep. were like, like the seats that are just on the corner of the stage were like $250. Yes. But seats on the side of the stage were $99. Oh, really? And you had like perfect, like you could, like, and he, he he comes to the corner of the stage and, you know, you know, waves at everybody and plays his bass and singing to some of his songs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it was a great place to sit. I got some really good shots from there. I mean, like, you know, of course, the big screen, jumbotron screen behind him is all distorted, but I'm thinking like, you know, if those t- if tickets like that are like 99 bucks for other bands, I'm totally getting them because I don't know if you ever, if you ever play, have you ever played live? Like on a or work with a PA system at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know when you're on the stage, it's not as loud as as the people standing in front of the speakers, like the audience, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of so the kind of mix you get sitting back there is is almost similar to the mix that they get uh, that the band gets because the speakers were well over our heads, blasting out into the audience, right? So it was loud, but it wasn't it wasn't painfully loud, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So and we weren't we weren't sitting beside like back in the day, you would have been sitting beside a stack of speakers, but now. They, they hang the speakers from the, the ceilings and all that kind of stuff, right? So got a better sense of the whole quadraphonic sound, too, because, you know, at the be- before the show, he had a sort of um, uh, like a, almost like a creak kind of sound. They used to do that with Pink Floyd, too, and they, they sort of, you know, filled the room with ambience before the yeah, yeah. before the show. And then... Like at, the beginning they, of the second set. Yeah, in the intermediate, yeah, and that, they started doing all, all the police calls and guns being fired, and yeah, and everybody's like, oh, this is kind of untimely, you know, given that Las Vegas was just... Oh. Days ago, yeah, right? Yeah. But you know, um, you know, I, I, I guess he just decided it was part of his show, and then yeah. So and it was great to see, like, um, you know, I'm, I'm a huge animals fan, so to see him play dogs and uh, and pigs, three different ones, even even with all the even with all the you know who references, right? Right. Yeah, which was super funny. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, did I, they I, do? Did they do the uh, that use the local kids for another brick in the wall? Yeah, 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 yeah. The kids they used here were from Regent Park, so. Shout out to Regent Park Kids uh, Music School. They, um, yeah, because Regent Park here is is one of the uh, one of the neighborhoods where uh, there's a lot of uh, what we call Ontario housing, which is you know government funded houses. Like there, mm-hmm. there are people, you know, the families don't have tons of money and stuff like that. So they have these arts programs for the kids and stuff like that. So yeah. um, just I mean, it's, they're they're changing the the style of neighborhood now. Like they're they're um, they've knocked down some of the, the the lower class housing and and put up some mixed housing. So some of it's condo and some some of it's uh, for lower lower income families. I think that's the best way to say that, right? So, uh, okay, he's back. All right. So, oh, great, he's back. 
Now we can't. We have to talk about boring computer stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, no, it was a good show. I mean, and it's it's kind of funny. I was sort of saying, like, you know, you know, I I've always sort of I don't know why I've, I've had this sort of I've been mad at Roger Waters since like you know 1980, 81 when you know when when it was kind of announced that Pink Floyd was kind of breaking up and right. I mean I didn't know I didn't know the backstory at the time that he had fired Rick Wright in the in the making of the Wall and all that kind of stuff. So and then when he tried to block Gilmore and and Wright and uh, Nick Mason from touring under the name Pink Floyd, you know, I was a little, a little put off by that. And um, I wasn't, I didn't really get too much out of his first first solo album, Radio Chaos, right? And then uh, the, the, what's it called? The Hitchhiking one. Yeah, the Hitchhiking one was first. The Radio Chaos was second. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then Amused to Death. Uh, um, I bought Amused to Death at the time, but, I, you know, there's a couple of songs that I liked about it, but I, it didn't really sort of, it didn't really, it wasn't a zinger for me. It wasn't like, you know, yeah. it, didn't, it didn't meet the three song rule, which is what, what I kind of always sort of go by with new bands right they have to have three good songs on the album right that's only that's only backfired on me once and that was a band called extreme but um i don't know if you remember them yeah but sure more than yeah, words yeah more than words and wholehearted and then they had another song which was a funky song i forget what it's called but then the rest of the stuff was all just sort of uh, heavy metal right Anywho, um, so yeah, and so here I'm thinking, like, you know, I grew up on Pink Floyd. I mean, Dark Side of the Moon was one of the first albums I ever heard as a kid, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I listened to that repeatedly, And but I, for me, uh, Wish You Were Here was the main album, and then, of course, Animals after that, and then, you know, in my mature years, I kind of like, you know, all everything from Pink Floyd I, I just love. I mean, even going back to the old acoustic stuff they did back in the day, and, um, you know, so I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, yeah, I like the Gilmore version of, of Pink Floyd, but at the end of the day this is all roger waters words right he was the, the lyricist for the band so right. for me to sort of say i'm you know i have this issue with roger waters i really should bury that hatchet because you know his words are you know us and them was written by him you know money was written by him you know the wall was written by him even the song even the animals the stuff that i just said i, I really like was written by him right so yeah well the, the lyrics were but a lot of the music yeah it was a, it was a collaborative effort yeah it was, yeah, it was yeah, collaborative sure. and, and yeah. so and you can clearly see that in even on the wall but for sure on the final cut yeah. when oh, yeah. when the rest of the band had kind of checked out a little bit and it was really all a roger waters thing sure, i yeah. mean those those suffer a lot from that i mean musically their final cut and and pros and cons of fit checking i actually think is very similar in, in that musically they're they're not that great they're missing right. yeah, something yeah, yeah. and really what they're missing is is david gilmore really yeah yeah i mean like you know like uh, he played Welcome to the Machine, which is a, which is a great song, right? But at the end of the day, like it's got this amazing synthesizer solo in the middle of it, right? And to me, that's always sort of been that to me has always been a hook for for Pink Floyd, especially on Wish You Were Here. Was the synthesizer work was was excellent, right? I mean, they all did, they all did the synthesizer stuff on you know on the run and uh, the other one that's on um, Dark Side of the Moon. That was all of them playing with synthesizers, but a lot of the synth work in later albums, even on on animals was Rick Wright, you know? So that really sort of sinister tone that he put on things, right? What was interesting too was was John Karen was on stage with with Roger Waters. I, I I did buy a DVD, a Roger Waters live DVD years and years ago. And, and of course, that has dogs on it too, right? Which I really enjoyed. But John Karen was playing keyboards for him. And he also played like most of the guitar heavy, played all the slide guitar and stuff like that, which was cool. But um, John Karen also toured with Pink Floyd when they came through, you know, the, the Gilmore Pink Floyd, when they came through in, I think it was 88 and 90, 
four, I want to say. Um, but you can check my set list if you really want to know. But um, he played, he backed up uh, Rick Wright on, on some of the keyboard uh, gymnastics that had to be done, right? So, yeah, so he's, so to me, seeing like, it's kind of like, you know how Phil Manzanera has been touring with uh, Gilmore for years and years. And of course, Phil Manzanera was with Roxy Music and 801 Live and all that kind of stuff, right? So, um, John Karen has played with uh, Roger Waters and Pink Floyd so frequently that he's to me is an honorary Pink Floyd member, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so it was great. So, so the other the other side, but I, I sat on the I sat on stage right, which is actually the, the left side of the stage, right, looking at the audience, looking at the thing. So I'm look, and I bought seats that were row ten, so I was high enough to see John Karen, who was sitting up above uh, Roger Waters, so I could see him doing slide, and I could see the keyboard player as well, right? So. So, um, so it was, it was, I mean, like, yeah, like I said, if, if a $99 seat is, 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 um, you know what that is and then I'm, I'm signed me up. I'm totally into that. Yeah, right? for so, sure. Yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah. To, so next, next time I go to get concerts tickets, I'm, I'm definitely gonna, I'm sold on sitting on the side of the stage, which I never really thought I would be right. Yeah. Well, so um, when I saw him, I was, I was on the floor about maybe a third of the way back, right. uh, but kind of on the side of the floor and, and those are good seats, mm-hmm. but yeah, they were 250 bucks. So, um, yeah, yeah. you know, if I, it's kind of true. I mean, 10 feet away are the seats you were talking about just a little bit further, you know, away from the side of the, uh, from the center of the stage. Right. But, but not that far away from where I was. And if those were only a hundred bucks, then yeah, that would, would probably yeah, be a better way. They were to a steal. Well, and that's what I'm saying. So, and of course I got to pick an aisle seat because I like, there was nobody in my section when I bought the ticket. So I picked an aisle seat. So I don't have to worry about if, you know, if the guy beside me was huge and he right. was a little big, yep. you know, yep. then I could kind of lean out and then, and plus, you know, occasionally I have to get up and, let people out to go to the bathroom and stuff like that or get a drink or whatever but yeah. but I'd rather sit on the aisle because then you're, 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 you've got a little bit of freedom there right but just across this like concrete aisle this set of stairways for me so I paid $99 the people sitting across from me were paying were paying like you know with fees like 270 bucks yeah yeah for a seat like less than less than an arm's reach away from me right mm-hmm. so yeah it's crazy but yeah I mean from now on I'm definitely going to check those seats out because because I mean like to sit that close to the stage you know if, if I was sitting in front of the stage, you know, because what are you there? You're there to listen to the music anyway, right? Right. Um, well, for, so, know, but for visual- somebody like Roger Waters, the visuals are an important part oh. of it. Yeah. So, well, that's, so that's if you're true. too close to that's the stage, true. it's actually worse because you can't see anything. That's true, but but the, the thing about Pink Floyd is, or the whole Pink Floyd ethos is that they always think about the guys in the cheap seats, right? Mm. Like, you know, so that's why they have these big spectacles because I think it's one of the things they said earlier on in, in the day was that you know they're ants to us on the stage for most of us who can't afford to have the seats up front or can't get the seats up front, right? So they have a big enough display, and of course, you know, now they're using those big giant LED um, panels that are that are, can be all wired together, uh, usually with like an single adreno or whatever but yeah. they can wired together and make these big giant monitors right so you get these like you know his his um his display was easily 50 feet high and you know 200 feet wide right mm-hmm. so huge huge stuff so everybody gets a good view right mm-hmm. and it's not projected anymore so you're not dealing with you know weird lighting and you know all that kind of stuff right well the one down the middle is projected, I believe, right? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah. definitely, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So for so was that running? Was that running like a T? Like if he was on the stage and it was running down, yeah. the center of the arena, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. 
Yeah, because there's a clip of um, them doing three different ones on um, in Mexico City where it's behind them, right? And so you've got the whole Battersea station. You know, oh, yeah. So it, was there. it like that for you as well, going down with the T? Yeah, yeah, yeah th- okay. down, yeah. down center, center. So yeah. if you had seats, if you had centers, if you paid all that money to sit in the center center row, right, like, right. You, know, you get to see great view of the band, but you miss all that. You that miss all huge, those. Yeah, great yeah. Display, right? Yeah. So. And so the the uh, when that came came down from the roof. That was an important part of the sound effects, or it was correlated with the sound effects oh, yeah, of the, yeah, of the second yeah. set. You know, all the industrial yeah. sounds from, from animals, uh, sure, where, yeah. when that thing was kind of moving down. And, and, uh, and so I, I don't think he could have, I don't think he could have cut that out from, it, it just would have ruined the, a big part of the show if he had done that. Well, like I said, it was just, I think as one of, one of the people behind me was mentioning that it was sort of, it was a bit too soon, but it, but it wasn't yeah. in, done in context. Right. So, right. Right. Well, you did say one thing, but you said one thing he likes about Canada is the fact that we don't have a nuclear weapon. You don't have any? No, we don't have any. We have yours. We don't have ours. Yeah, like, see, that's, that, no, that's the thing. It's like, <laughs> why, why would you even bother when you get all the benefits of having nukes without yeah. any of the, like, getting your hands dirty of actually using them? Yeah, right? that's yeah. true. That's true. So, you know, so you know the famous story of the Avro Arrow? You heard of the Av- Avro Arrow, the CF-105? Okay. Mm-mm. So back in the late 50s, early 60s, sometime in there, Canada made the first computerized fly-by-wire... Um, um, jet, like, you know, fighter jet, right? And they had this order to sell, like, them, or apparently they had this order to sell them all around the world. And it was super, super sophisticated, supersonic jet, right? And they had built five of them out of Trenton, Ontario. And then suddenly they decided to scrap the whole program and they destroyed all the, all the planes that they had made. And apparently they sunk one into, into the lake. So they, they just went and found it the other day, like, um, with sonar or whatever. But anyway, so the rumor is that, and again, this is totally rumor that, um, Eisenhower, Diefenbaker got together. Eisenhower said, well, you know, we, we're not really super happy about the fact that you've got the CF 105 supersonic jet. That you're going to sell to all these other countries, right? He says, so we can either put our nuclear warheads in northern Canada and point them at Russia, or we can put them, you know, just in, in along the United States border, and they might accidentally not fly all the way to Russia. Hmm. <laughs> anyway, that's a rumor. You guys aren't laughing. You must be American. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it, they say. Anyway, anyway, we had this Avro Arrow thing. It was quite cool. But anyway, yeah, we, we were once uh, poised to be a military superpower, but no. Yeah, that was what, 1804 that you were poised to be a superpower? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, the, it was in the 50s yeah, or 60s. Well, yeah, 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 for the plane, sure. Yeah. When was Eisenhower president? 50s, early 50s. Oh, early 50s. Hmm, might have been. Uh, maybe no, the late 50s. Yeah, probably the late 50s, too. Yeah, so was he? he was yeah, just no, actually, Kennedy, he right? would have been. Yeah, he would have been fifty-two to sixty. Right, he was right. after so after Truman 50s. and before Kennedy. Yep, right, right. Yep. Mm. So most of the fifties. Yeah, and, and Diefenbaker was uh, prime minister before Trudeau, so around that time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the guys who worked for us at, as a driver, he was retired, or like an older guy, he was in his 70s or 80s, um, but he used to drive like packages for our company at one of the places I worked. He was, he actually worked at a, what he called AV Row, which is the name of the company, Avro. Yeah, so he was actually, I don't know what he did there, but uh, yeah, back in the day. Anyway. Okay. So Tim, right. Tim, do you have a pick? I don't. Oh, okay. That's why I was so happy to, get out of, happy to get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, you can cut that out of the show if you want. Oh well. Oh, this we're in the after show now, buddy. 
You can cut that out of the after show if you want. Sure, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So how about that news about Tom Petty? That was kind of weird, eh? Yeah, it came out of nowhere. Yeah, he was was a young guy. Not just that, but but just how it was handled. Yeah, that's true. He was 66, yeah, I guess that's That's, that's that's pretty pretty young. young these days. Yeah. His was confusing because unlike Hugh Hefner and unlike uh, Monty Hall, like theirs was just straight up, they've died. And Tom Petty's is like, he's dead. No, wait, he's not. No, wait, wait, wait. No, wait, it turns out no, he was wait, in the hospital. Yeah, and now yeah. he's dead. And I'm yeah. like, wait, is is it fake news? What, what's happening here? Is he actually alive or not? Yeah. It's funny because I, I actually wore my Tom Petty t-shirt to the Roger Waters show and a lot of people were stopping me to talk about him. And uh so at the time when I was at the show, I mean, I had heard he, he died at around, uh, you know, uh, three or four in the afternoon, um, or at least I saw some tweets about him and I wasn't really sure. And then I was reading about it on the way home. And then um, I got home and mentioned to Carol, she said, yeah, but they just said on the news that it's not confirmed. And then I saw that the LAPD had gone on, come online and said that they weren't, they had, they had no information on it. They hadn't heard that he died. So they didn't know where apparently the, the, the fact that he had died leaked out early kind of thing. Um, but yeah, he was on life support that whole evening. And then when, by the time I got home at night from after the Roger Waters show around 1230 at night, Carol said that they just announced that he had passed away. So Somebody said it was so 2017, 2017 of the announcement to sort of be out there and, and then not be quite accurate, you know? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it did it, bring us the, the trifecta of the like celebrity deaths happening in threes kind of thing. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Well, if you have in, in roughly the short period of time, you have Hugh Hefner, Monty Hall, and Tom Petty. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the police thing I thought was a little interesting because they, they don't necessarily send police out, you know, when you just die normally. Right, yeah, if it's just, just, you just know, Joe Schmo, you, yeah. Yeah, you call, no, no, I mean, like, you, uh, unless it was, like, suicide or murder or something, um, maybe some sort of severe accident. Uh, you know, if you, like, slip and fall and, and die in your house, somebody finds you, 911 probably sends, um, you know, ambulance and, and maybe right, might, paramedic, yeah. uh, might say, like, oh, well, they're not around, but the, the fire department's close or 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 police departments closer. You know, I'm sure that goes in the dispatch. It's not like they send all three for everything that occurs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they do if you're a famous rock star. Well, did they, did <laughs> yeah, they dispatch, well hang on. Did, but they did dispatch uh, police to this particular case? or I don't think so, help? which is when, when people were like, well, we don't know if it's legit or not. Let's ask, ask the police. It's like, well, the police may not know. <laughs> right, I mean, you right. luck out if they do. It was like, because I think maybe because he was so young, people were like assuming um, the police would be brought in to make sure that it, uh, or to investigate whether it was a murder or a suicide or something, or which is natural play, causes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm. yeah. But presumably mm. they brought him into the emergency room of the hospital, and there's always cops around there. So Right, yeah. It might have been there that they saw it. Because I guess the LAPD did put out some kind of a statement, the initial statement saying he was dead before it was it was fully confirmed, and then they retracted it, right? Right, yeah. They made apologies, right? Yeah. Very strange. Yep. Well, it's a shame, whatever it was. He was a very talented mm-hmm. guy. Yeah, for sure. He certainly was. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, we we play a lot of his songs in our band when we play together. Mm. Yeah. Yes, sir, Bob. So what else is going on? We've got a few more minutes left before I turn into a pumpkin. <laughs> my um my conference talk went well over in. Oh right, in- oh, yeah. 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 So yeah. how did the conference talk go? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to self promote too hard, so that's oh, why I didn't okay. make it an explicit topic on the show. But I figured we might come up on the after on show. the after show, and you'll sure. notice that I, I, I tactfully didn't immediately jump into it, and I even left a little bit of an extra beat there when you right, asked right. you know <laughs> any more stuff. Uh, but it went well. Um, 
Austin was great. Um, you know, it was hosted at uh, Amazon's facilities there, which, uh, I mean, they're not quite as uh, grand and luxurious as the ones in Seattle because that's the headquarters, but uh, it's actually really nice. Uh, they have a few floors of a, of a building and Facebook is very close and so are a lot of other tech companies. Um, very cool vibe there in that area. Uh, people are real, real nice and everything. And uh, as nervous as I was about giving my, my conference talk, um, it went it went really well. People seem to really like it. So I'm, I'm very pleased about that. Hmm. Professional podcaster like you, you were nervous? <laughs> I don't do it live though, right? Because it was like, <clears throat> Tim, you're gonna have to cut that one out. I totally That's I true, totally yeah. embarrassed myself. Don't don't yeah. <laughs> we'll put that in the blooper reel, but don't let yeah, that go. I, out I cut the all the empty show. space out and I you know if I, fight, I see a bunch of ums, I take them out. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm, I make you sound mm-hmm. good, man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so how big how big was the conference? Was it pretty well attended? It was smaller. It was uh how many people were there? How many people do I think might have been in that room? I want to say it would be full room in like the 40 to maybe 50 ish range, which is a a little bit. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Not bad at all. Um, the, the one in Seattle was, was pretty big. It was, you know, hundred ish, probably, uh, granted the area we were in was a lot bigger too. Um, I'm a little bit less familiar with, with the setup for this one, but really, really good. Uh, people from all sorts of different, uh, companies, of course, uh, a lot of Amazonians and IBMers, um, trying to think of anybody besides Tim Burks was, was there from Google. Um, I ran into I ran into a, a fan of the show. Surprisingly enough, I was very surprised. Uh, I didn't think our reach would, would make it out there. Um, didn't ask him if he could, if he wanted to be on the show. But uh, uh, oh, no, I, I really I really apologize because I'm really terrible with last names. Uh, but uh, Joshua, I think, was the first name. Came up and, and said hello to me, which was which was great. Uh, apparently, nice. he moved uh, from the Pacific Northwest to Austin fairly recently. So I think that's the connection there. Nice. Huh. Yeah, I gave him a sticker. So hopefully, that's uh, proudly emblazoned. Well, I was going to say, did you bring the stickers down? Like, was it a, a multi-track conference or just one track? Or It was single track for the first half, basically before lunch. And then after lunch was split into a dual track. Oh, okay. Right, right. So mm-hmm. people did have an opp- opportunity to go to another talk. That's what I'm getting at. They, they had a choice. <laughs> <laughs> there was an option. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. Uh, unfortunate me, I end up against uh, Carl Brown's talk. Which oh, no way. all about uh, Swift on Linux and some sort of memory management. Um, memory right. Management problems that you can run into that are harder to, to debug because the tooling just isn't there. So I was yeah, like, man, yeah. that's unfortunate. I wanted to go see that talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> were, you, were you recorded? I actually don't know the answer to that question. They, they had mics set up, but I don't know if they were recording um, audio or anything because I, I certainly wasn't asked to record my video, but maybe they were pulling it off of uh, the connection we had through. Like as a presenter, there was a microphone that was hot right on the podium, or if you were somebody who was walking around, you could get a, a clipped on mic. Um, and then you had your HDMI cable coming from your laptop, but that was fed in through like some sort of splitter system that went to a main projector, but then also had like a, a TV monitor off to the side. Right. right. So it's entirely possible, but I, I don't actually know the answer to that question. Um, hmm. We can at least put the uh, the repository info into the show notes and that'll have like both the slides as well as the completed code and example requests and responses for people. Sure. Okay. So I did remember what I wanted to ask you. It was, it has to do with Amazon. So you know how Amazon is shopping around for a new home office, right? Or a new, another office, not a home office, but another office, right? So Toronto, it's, it's the news here in Toronto. And I, I think it was Greg I was talking to about uh, when he was here in town about the likelihood of whether Amazon would pick Toronto as a 
uh, a new hub for them because uh, you know they, they think they're saying they want to have a tech sector environment they want to have you know access to people they also want to have um, access to uh, airports and and shipping places like that right which is which Toronto does certainly fits into the whole sort of you know major um, hub airport airport kind of spot but I think Greg was saying that there are other parts of the United States that are more better candidates for the for a second office for Amazon so I don't know if you guys have any opinions on that like in terms of what uh, parts of the country might have um, a better shot at getting an Amazon head office and notwithstanding the fact it's already in the United States right yeah I mean I guess it depends on on which aspects you believe are the strongest um, the strongest winners and, and what their approach is yeah I think Greg's point was that there were some and I can't remember like Nebraska and places like that I can't remember what specifically he was saying but um, but it was something to do the fact that they, these are places where a lot of industry has you know sort of shut down and so there's a lot of opportunity for people looking for tech work um, and their major major hubs right what were you going to say Mark it, it depends what they're looking for if they're looking for access to a lot of engineers and tech talent then they would probably put it either in Barry where I am or, or in somewhere around Austin or or uh, the northeast somewhere Boston or New York uh, but if they're just looking for a place that's sort of a centralized place to have some giant warehouses attached to it, uh, then yeah, the Midwest would be great for that. Uh, Detroit area, maybe Chicago area, because there's a lot of people who, who could frankly use the jobs over there. And and uh, and if it's if a place is centrally located, uh, it makes shipping easier and, and more convenient. So so it could make a lot of sense for that as well. Uh, I, I don't think that they would move a lot of engineers out to a place somewhere in the Midwest that doesn't have a lot of engineers there already. I don't think that would make a lot of sense, but but yeah, it depends on what they're what they're looking for. If it's headquarters, it's hard to say what they actually need there. I mean, that might not even be that big of an office, right? No, no, they're talking about 50,000 50, jobs. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. And that then so, that's probably uh, that's probably something to do with with distribution and warehouses and things like that, because otherwise, yeah, yeah, they wouldn't need that many people. I mean, it's going to depend on the the mix, because that that the fact that they're putting it out there as uh, headquarters too, and not yet another warehouse like they happen to have all over the place mm-hmm. um, implies that there there must be a, a fairly significant chunk of the sort of premium jobs for the developers and designers and other stuff. Yeah, um, it's not clear to me like how much of that fifty thousand it'll be. Um, it might be only five. It might be only one thousand. Uh, um, but you would still need to have enough to make it make it worthwhile. So that's that's where I like. I also kind of agree on a lot of things. It's like, well, if cost is not that big of a concern, then you um, if you want access to a lot of developers, you go to the Bay Area. Um, if you want a lot of developers, but you want um, closer access to um, the feds, that you can go to D.C., Boston, New York. Yep. Um, if you're interested in kind of a mix, but but without being expensive, then you're probably looking at Austin, Denver, maybe a Salt Lake City. Um, I could see an argument uh, if you're going for like the lack of taxation route and some you know burgeoning, growing engineering areas. Maybe the research triangle going on in where's that North Carolina? Yeah, that's North uh, Carolina. Or or Charleston, South Carolina is getting a lot of stuff going on there. Boeing built its facility there. A lot of other companies building there. Um, I think if it was like a charity case where they're going to revitalize a city, then maybe you might start thinking about some 
uh, rust belt areas in the, in the Midwest that it really struggled. But I, I see that as being the least sort of likely scenario given, uh, given any business really. I mean, it, it, not just Amazon's personality, but also like, it isn't like, a, oh, hey, we're, you know, we're going to go retrain all these folks. Um, they're not going to be steel workers. They're not going to be auto workers. They're going to be, you know, developers or, or maybe warehouse workers, depending on the mix there. Um, I don't see that happening per se because they could just do that already, right? They could just say, oh yeah, we're going to build a, a warehouse there. H- how is that any different? Why would they need to announce this sort of like grand, um, it could go, uh, it's going to be headquarters too sort of thing, which at least has a, a lot of, um, I don't know, PR behind it, behind it, if nothing else. It's not as if Amazon doesn't have other sites. Like I, I gave a talk at an Amazon site in Austin. It's not called, you know, headquarters three or four or five or anything. Right. It's, it's just like another facility there. Um, so I, I kind of wonder how that's going to work out. Uh, if, if they were thinking about, oh, sorry, if, if the other criteria that, that I don't, I don't think is quite as serious, but, um, is an interesting possibility. If they were concerned about, uh, long-term access to international talent, then I could see that Toronto makes a heck of a lot of sense because they have a lot of developers, um, a lot of machine learning folks. And if they can't get within the borders of the United States, well, they can get within the borders of Canada, right? It's, it's an altogether sort of different game. So, um, again, Tim, it kind of comes down to which criteria do you believe are the ones that Amazon is weighing the heaviest? Mm-hmm. Yeah, not sure. But uh, you can you can bet our politicians are making a pitch, right? It would be irresponsible not to. I mean, yeah, yeah. This is fifty thousand uh, pretty good paying jobs. So uh, e- even my hometown, <laughs> bless their hearts, <laughs> my hometown of, of El Paso is is putting in a bid, and uh, the things they have going for them are um, low cost of living, uh, no state income tax in Texas, so that's helpful. Really, wow. uh, access to a university that puts out graduates uh, in in engineering uh, at UTEP, the school that I went to. Yeah. Um, but it would be it would be pretty rough in a lot of other areas like the the nightlife sort of stuff would be difficult um there wouldn't be as much for uh these highly paid engineers to do um so i, I don't know about that but i give them you know a for effort for trying though yeah let's keep an eye on this story i think pittsburgh sure. could be an interesting option so pittsburgh has kind of an up-and-coming tech scene there's carnegie mellon university is there and and it's mm-hmm. really been revitalized they so they really made the tr- transition from a from a dying industrial steel town to to a tech center just over the past few years and and I think it's probably still at least relatively cheap there compared to a lot of other places that might be an interesting option yeah yeah definitely man this iOS 11 is slow on my iPhone 6 let's oh an iPhone 6 okay interesting 6 plus yeah so I wonder that explains a little bit more because um, I have the very first day that I installed iOS 11 I noticed that the the animations threw me off a little bit and I thought oh it's slower yeah. and I said wait Maybe it's not. Maybe like if I actually sat down and, and timed them, maybe it's the same. It's just it does something a little awkward when it animates back to the home screen. Yeah. At least yeah. in my my opinion. And maybe that's what's really sort of triggering me. Whereas what it did before, I just sort of normalized and don't even realize it anymore. Right. I'm gonna see if I can make you a movie off my phone here. No, I can't apparently. Oh, because it's not plugged in, that's why. That might explain it. But you can do the recording right on the device now. What's that? Uh it sounds like you're gonna connect to QuickTime. Yeah. But you can also record right on the device. Oh. Um, I actually don't have that on my control center, but I can add it because you can customize controls. Do, 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 what is it called? Screen recording is the name of the of the what widget on the control center. It's not on there by default. You have to go into uh, settings, control center, customize controls, and then there's a list and you can reorder them there too. Oh, from you swipe up from the bottom, you mean? Yeah, the control center you pull down from the bottom, you know how it, it only has like a handful of things now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can go customize that in the settings app. Oh, so I have to go to settings now? Yeah, 
It's in that bunch, like the second group that says notifications and then control center right below. Sorry, I'm waiting for it to open. Painfully slow. All right, so... You should get oh, one of these new center, iPhones yeah. that they got out now, Tim. Yeah, I'm working on... Oh, custom controls. Here we go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We got flashlight, camera, screen recorder. Yeah, Tim, didn't oh. you get an iPhone 8? Did you Did you end up buying an 8 yeah, for your own that personal... Yeah, that was for the... For, um, Professionally? Okay, okay, got it. For the business. Right. Not for my personal one. So you're waiting for the 10 for, for personal then? Yeah, apparently I have to buy a per, uh, 10 for the business as well as personal. So Ooh, conflict things. of interest there. I, I think it's kind of interesting as to whether you'll be able to purchase both. Uh, well, no, um, I got one through Rogers. I got mine through my carrier, right? Why do you think you won't be able to buy two? <laughs> because it sounds like the supply is going to be so limited that you might have a, a, a dilemma, a choice to make as to oh, whether which one do I order or, first? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which order goes through? Yeah, yeah. So now, okay, so I've added this now. So now it'll be in the control panel, you're saying, right? Ooh, look at that. Screen recorder. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty nifty. Here we go. Uh, the other thing I like is when you, you take a screenshot that it brings up that little UI that you can go manipulate it and you can just decide to discard the screenshot, but yet still copy the contents of like uh, something you marked up or you cropped down, for example. So that's really nice. I don't have to necessarily clutter up my photo albums with all these screenshots. So we'll do an airdrop. Come on. Yeah, this is the thing. I'm tapping on the on the, the airdrop button and it takes forever to open. Really annoying. When did you install iOS 11 on this device? Yeah, you went, we talked about this last week, four days after four, da- four days after it was announced. So it's been about a week now, more than a week now. Yeah. Yeah, it should have gotten better. Huh. Should have, would have, could have. I hadn't heard anything specific to the 6 Plus. Not to say that, you know, there aren't going to be some some anecdotes out there, but I haven't seen, um you know, a, a large quantity of complaints about that specific to that device. So I wonder if there's something else going on there. Yeah. I got to do some TPS reports, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, uh, look, looking at the link here for my, my talk. The one thing I was disappointed about is, is people didn't get my, my sad attempt at humor with the very first uh, celebrity photo using Taylor Swift. Oh, really? Oh, that, I didn't get that either. Not, not, now I get it. Now that you mentioned it. Wasn't, it wasn't funny enough, apparently, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> we needed a, a drum roll there um, or a, a drum, a rim shot uh, there for the, the oh, drums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, people did seem to like the, um, the one I threw in at the end, uh, sort of on a lark uh, for mm-hmm. the season five cast of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. That one went really well. Like so people check enjoyed it, check out the rotation on this uh, video I just sent you guys. If it's arrived yet, I don't know. Oh, that's Let's weird. See. Yeah. Do, do, do. So Carol, Carol has a seven, or yeah, an iPhone seven, and so she, when she rotates, she gets like you get the black around the outsides, but it's still not weird. But this is isn't that weird? Yeah, that is weird. Whoa. Yeah. That's just an iPhone 6 running iOS 11? I would send that video to Tim Cook. Yeah? Yeah. (laughs) You know, the 6 Plus is definitely underpowered or the screen that it's trying to deal with. Mm. So I wonder if that's what you're running into. It, it reminds me a lot of, of things like that that happened with the iPad 3, the first yeah. Retina one that was underpowered for the amount of pixels it was trying to push. I wonder if that's what's happening there. It looks like some buffer is like not getting filled in time or something. It's not seamless like it would normally mm-hmm. be. Okay, so here, let me try the switching apps thing I was doing. Yeah, okay, that one, that worked. Let me show you this one. This is the other issue I have. So you're on a 6 Plus. How do you access the like extra functions? So for like- mine... I have to like um like if I wanted to bring up AirDrop from that first uh, collection, the one that has you know mm-hmm. Wi-Fi and oh, airplane mode and stuff. Long press. You long press on it. Oh, okay. See, mine my long press does nothing on mine. I have to three D pre- uh, force touch or three D touch it. You're talking about to get the extra menu up, like the yeah, extra the Wi-Fi one that has like stuff? like AirDrop and stuff on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I found that a little weird, so I bet I'm going to find it kind of weird when you have to deal with like the double the little bat ears for the iPhone 10. We're like pulling down from one side. 
brings yeah. up one thing and pulling down from the other brings it to something else. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.